you're praying, you're, you're there for one another. That's community of faith. I'm fine with that. Mm. Um, but if you're like, well, I'm going skiing and my church is nature. Uh, no, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. What you're doing is you're just playing mental gymnastics to be disobedient to the word and to not walk in the fullness of what God has called his followers to do. You're not a person who's been called out. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast that's here to help you look forward to what God may have in store in your life and resist the temptation just to be weighed down by the difficulties of the last couple years. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, the Salty Pastor is where you can discover what the Bible is teaching that makes a difference in your life today. Practical, applicable steps straight from the Word of God. The only place we can find real truth, right? Amen to that. <laughs> My name is Jesse Mayer. I will be your host, and we cannot do the Salty Pastor podcast without the Salty Pastor himself, Dr. Douglas Peak. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. It's so good to be here as we kind of focus ourselves on a new year. And I would like us to move from the struggle and the difficulties of the last, you know, year and a half and start looking towards a brand new and bright hopeful future because things are still moving forward. The kingdom of God is expanding. Your life is changing. You can grow. And so this is all about discovering what you believe and why you believe it, because it's out of that foundation where strength, courage, and integrity and character and perseverance and endurance come from. And that's why this series is called back to the basics. It's back all, on track. Oh, sorry. Not back to the basics it's back on track. Thank you, Jesse, <laughs> for keeping me on track. It's back on track. It's getting back to that optimism about faith in God and how it draws you to a more uh, and better future, a life that is really walking in the fullness of everything that Christ has for you. So we're getting back on track and here we go, zooming forward in 2022. So on Tuesday, we started off by kind of doing an overview of who James is and the book of James, which is where Mm -hmm. we're kind of focusing this series on is the book of James. Um, Talk to me about how we might be starting this year off on the right foot. I know we didn't like, we did an overview in the, in the biblical principles. Thursday tends to be our application day. So let's talk about it. Where, where can we start to get going? I mean, we're a couple weeks in already into the new year, but how could we be moving forward on the right foot? Well, I think in the book of James, uh, it's basically a plan, you know, for spiritual growth. He says, do this, don't do that. So they're very practical steps. And so is very early teaching in the church. It's considered one of the earliest books written for the New Testament. Mm. So it's really interesting. Now, the overall theme in the book of James is community because it's, it's interesting. He doesn't really say community a lot, mm. but it is the implied assumption through all of his teaching. You know, you look at it over and over and over again. And so you'll see all of these verses. You'll see in verse 27 of chapter one, he says, religion that God our father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So these are community statements, right? It's Mm. we as a group of people should watch out for widows and orphans, and we should encourage each other to not be polluted by the world. If you look at chapter two, verses 15 and 16, he says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and be well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs. What good is that? 
Right. And so that's another, you, you know, obviously he's talking about community, you know, uh, how do we take care of each other's in, in chapter three, verse 18, it says peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. So what does a peacemaker do? You know, it's in community. They're trying to bring, they, they peace. don't make peace for yeah. alone people, right? Yeah. <laughs> like peacemaker is not a pizza you make by yourself yes. in your kitchen at home. Correct. It's something that happens between people and groups of people. Uh, if you look at chapter five, verse 14, it says, if anyone is among you sick, let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Uh, he says in verses 19 and 20 of chapter five, my brothers and sisters, if any one of you should wander from the truth and someone brings that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover a multitude of sins. So what we see is a lot of community teaching, right? It's teaching to us specifically, but the context in which all of this practical plan for spiritual growth is happening in community. So mm. I hope to get through as many of these principles as possible throughout the entire book over the course of this series. But I really think one of the things that we need to do is realize that a community of faith is critically important. It is very important to know what it means to be a part of a community of faith. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, a lot of people say church, right? And what people don't realize is that the word church, it comes from a German word that referred to the place where the church worships. So it was like a German word that was like, it's a special room or house right. that is designed and set apart for worship. So it became church. And then it was transliterated, meaning they picked an English word that just sounded like the German word in old English and translated over. And so we've used the word church, church, church ever since. And it's really easy because oftentimes when people say, oh, what church do you go to? You see these classic pictures of churches. And so whenever you hear, oh, there's a church, let's go to the church. You think of a building. And there's some merit to why we see it that way because of the nature of the original word from which it came. Mm -hmm. But in the New Testament, the word that we translate as church was actually a word called ecclesia. And what it means is people who have been called out. Ek is a pronoun meaning out of, mm -hmm. ecclesia is a group of people. So these are a group of people. It's a community of people that have been called out. So when, when we are talking about being a part of a community of faith, you may belong to a community of faith that is large. They have uh, purchased property and built a building. Maybe it's a, a real modern building or it's a classic building, or it could be a gymnasium gymnasium that was, <laughs> you know, or an old storefront that was re repurposed, right. right? Uh, it could look like that. You could be a part of a community of faith that doesn't own a building at all, you know, but, uh, you're a part of a house church. You see, it's very small, or you could be a part of a micro church. Um, there's the, there's micro churches, meaning our micro community of faith, where we say we have a group of 10 people that function as a community of faith. Uh, in the seventies, you won't remember this. No, I will not. But remember I was this. very young then. <laughs> and I remember 
that there were communes that were churches where people would uh, live together in a giant house. They would eat communal meals and they were trying to, you know, function like some teaching in the, the book of Acts about how the early church had, you know, was willing to share everything. And they interpreted that, I believe wrongly, but they interpreted it. That was it. their interpretation. Yeah, that was an inter- interpretation. And so I'm not going to say that their sense of a community of faith was wrong because it wasn't. They were, they were attempting to be biblical. So that's awesome. You see, so my point is, is that when I say you need to be a part of a church or a community of faith, what I'm really saying is that don't have in your mind this traditional. You need to go to a, a, a white picket fence building with a exactly, cross on the roof. Yeah. Um, you know, you, but, but I also am saying this is that people have misinterpreted this and they say, well, church comes from an old German word that was transliterated. It means a building. And so I don't need a church, a community of faith of people. I'm just going to go out in nature. That's my church. Or I'm going to go out and do my thing on the Mm. weekend. That's my church. No, it's not. That is a falsehood. That is not true. And so you have to watch, uh, or be careful of both extremes. The one side is, is that well, you're not going to a church unless you have a, you know, a white picket fence with a steeple and a cross on the top and, and they and only organized. play organ music yeah, if they have barracks, anything else yeah. other than, yeah. I mean, your, your, your community faith may be something that meets at a coffee shop on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night, but you're faithful to it. It's 10 people. You're encouraging people in the word. You're, you're praying, you're, you're there for one another. That's community of faith. I'm fine with that. Mm. Um, but if you're like, well, I'm going skiing and my church is nature. Uh, no, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. What you're doing is you're just playing mental gymnastics to be disobedient to the word and to not walk in the fullness of what God has called his followers to do. You're not a person who's been called out. You're missing so, out on the good life. So yeah, you're just not missing out on the good life. What you're doing is you're living in rebellion to God mm-hmm. and particularly Jesus Christ, where he says, when you come to salvation to me, I make you a part of my church. So whatever it looks like, and there's a lot of freedom in what it looks like, don't make the mistake of saying you don't need one because as James points out, the underlying philosophy of everything he teaches is that everything he teaches is happening in a church community of faith, regardless of how it looks, it actually exists. So what are some of the upsides? I mean, there's, there's some incredible upsides that I imagine, you know, I can think of a few off my head, but talk to me, what are some of the upsides of having community in our lives? A real community of faith? Well, there's so many in there uh, and we'll get to all of them eventually throughout the course of this series. But let's start with where James start in verse two of chapter one, where he says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Mm. And uh, so, so he basically starts off and we, we really dug into this from the biblical teaching perspective on Tuesday, that what he's doing is he's defining reality. So in order to understand, you know, one of the biggest upsides of community of faith is understanding how it, it helps you define the reality in which you live. We live in very difficult circumstances. Life is really, really hard. Mm. Uh, I don't think we really understand the depth and breadth about the evil taint 
and its influence on this world. Uh, the, the, the taint on life that comes from evil is what makes it so difficult. This is why there is injustice in the world. This is why there is uh, disease in the world. This is why there are tragic weather phenomena in the world. We, we don't understand the depth and the reach of evil or sin in the world, not only um, in the physical reality, but also in our souls as human beings. Our, you know, our, our capacity to, to always be at war and to hate other people, our capacity to be deceived and pursue things that are unrighteous, they're bad for us and bad for other people. Our, our capacity to be selfish, you know, to the point where we only look out for number one. All of these things come from the taint of sin. Mm. And this is what makes life so difficult and so hard. What's interesting is, is it's the taint of sin that when things are going really, really good in your life, right? I mean, you can be following Jesus and your family's good, your business is good, your career's good, and then you do something dumb to self-sabotage it, you know? Right. Uh, where does that come from? Well, it comes from the taint of sin. You see, all of these things, we could just go on and on and on, that make life so very difficult. The most important thing, though, is that it is biblical community, not just friends, that will influence how you view what's going on in your life when it's difficult. James says, consider it joy. So he's saying that whenever you have a trial, whenever you have a tri uh, tribulation, uh, you are to have a different attitude about it than anybody else. So my hope in doing this entire study is to help people understand uh, you can actually change your attitude in life. And so your biblical community influences your attitude. So what exactly do I mean when I say your attitude? Well, basically attitude is, uh, it's a mixture of three basic things. First of all, it is what you believe. Okay. Second of all, it's coupled with what you do. And then finally, how you feel about it. These three things create your attitude. Okay. So case in point, when, when kids are looking at all the pieces of cake out there on the table, right? Yes. And they want a piece of cake. If they get one in their mind that they believe is smaller, what happens? Well, they believe it's smaller. So they believe they are being treated. What? Unfairly. Unfair. It's not fair. So they, they then do something. Okay. What action do they take? They either complain, uh, in an extreme case, they'll throw a temper tantrum. Maybe they'll pout or they will choose to do something to communicate that they feel they're being treated unfairly. And then once that happens, you'll, you'll see crying. You might see screaming, you might be pouting. <laughs> you know, this is how attitude works. So these three ingredients are all built on one premise. This is what's really fascinating. All three of these ingredients that create your attitude are built on one premise. And you know what that premise is? Freedom to choose. You see, 
James says you get to choose based on your free will what your attitude will be regarding this. Well, what does that exactly mean? Well, first of all, I get to choose what I believe. Okay. I have free will, so I get to choose what I believe. Now, do you see why biblical community is so important? Cause mm-hmm. it affects what I believe. I'm learning what the Bible teaches in biblical community. Right. So I have free will, so I get to choose what I believe. I have free will, so I get to choose what I'm going to do about it. Okay. And then finally I have free will to see how, what I chose to do based on my belief impacts my emotional response. And then that becomes my attitude about life. Now I want to draw a very, very important connection here. As I've said many times, what you believe about yourself as well is one of the most important things about you. So therefore your attitude about your life is a reflection of your beliefs, right? Your core beliefs that you may not even be aware that you hold. So let me use myself as an example. When I was younger, I was probably 31, 32. So that was quite a while ago. Uh, I was a brand spanking new lead pastor, senior pastor. Uh, I call myself the lead pastor because uh, back then there was nobody else on staff. It was just me. So I was you know, <laughs> leading myself. I, I found the stress of the situation that I was in at the time uh, through the early phase of my ministry here, it created a really bad attitude in me. I had a bad attitude. I found myself struggling with negative feelings constantly, negative emotions all the time. Uh, I began experiencing negative self-talk at a level I'd never experienced before. You know, things were very stressful. I was young. I didn't know how to deal with it. I was on my own. I was isolated. So I started, you know, well, like, why in the world am I here? Why am I doing this? What purpose is it? It, it doesn't seem to have any value anyway. It's just a big mess. And I can't do it. I, I don't have the skill set to do this. I mean, I'm a total failure. Everybody else around me is succeeding. And here I am in a giant dumpster fire. You know, I kept telling myself this over and over again. It was like that every single day, the negative self-talk, you know, my internal dialogue was just very, very negative. So what happened is each day I began focusing only on the events of the day or the data points of the day in my life that reinforced my already cynical attitude, Mm. right? Yeah. You could see any good, good stuff going on, right? All I saw was everything that just kind of piled on. And then eventually after I've been here for a couple of years, uh, I had some really good people in my life, some elders, my wife, a close friends, even pastor Harv, you know, 25 years ago, uh, really pushed me to evaluate what was going on in my soul. Say, look, you seem to be angry a lot. Are you okay? You're, you're always in a bad mood. What's going on? And what I did is I took some time to do some hardcore evaluation. And I discovered is that I really hadn't healed from the wounds of what had happened to me prior to moving to Idaho. And I was trying to heal the wounds in my soul by being successful. Right. And then once I figured that out, I changed my belief. I changed my belief. The church is not my place to work out my own healing. Mm. The church doesn't belong to me. It's not for my purpose. It's not even for my benefit. I mean, in a way, generally what, what the church is, is it's the place that Jesus called me to go and serve him. 
See, so I, I reoriented my entire belief system about why I was doing what I was doing, which is critically important if you hate your job or you hate your career. You know, your entire attitude about it can change 100%, particularly if you change your belief. My, you see, my career isn't what's supposed to make me happy. My career isn't what's supposed to heal me. My career isn't supposed to do all of these things. You know what my career is? It's the place where I express the love that I experienced for, from Jesus to the people around me. This just happens to be what I'm doing right now. Right. This is the context. You know, so if you're a doctor, your, your career can't heal you. Your career can't make you a great person. Your career is not going to uh, build your reputation so that you're the smartest person in the room. Uh, your career isn't going to fulfill some deep, unmet, emotional need in your soul. Only Jesus can do that. And so the best doctors are the ones who understand Hey, I have a proclivity for this. I'm using it as an expression of my love for Jesus. The best lawyers, the best leaders, the best politicians, the best coaches, the best pastors, the best teachers, fill in the blank. The best of everything happens because they have a really great attitude about what they do. Well, where does that great attitude come from? Well, because they've challenged their beliefs, their deep-seated beliefs about why they do what they do. You see, so their happiness isn't contingent upon success. I remember a very famous coach said, you know, I learned a long time ago that praise does not make you holy and criticism does not make you evil, mm. you know, because he, if he wins a championship, everybody loves him next year when he goes, you know, eight and five, everybody hates him. <laughs> you see, it, so he could keep doing what he did. Why? Because the whimsy of the fan didn't matter anymore. So these really good people in my life, they helped me understand that. They under, helped me understand. So once I changed my belief, I began to change what I was doing, you see? And what I was doing is almost like a moth to a flame is I would, I would be drawn to negative things, negative events, bad problems, because that just reinforced my cynical attitude. But then what happened is I changed my belief and figured that out. So then I started to change what I was doing and I started investing myself in, uh, what does God want to do through me? Focus on better teaching, better discipleship, better ministry, better this, better that go and love people better. And then you know what that did is that totally changed my emotional response mm. to the situation. And so that's how, that's how I began. And I want that. I want that for every single person. I want you to, guys, I want you to be better leaders, better employees, better managers, better husbands, better fathers. This is what I want for every person. I want every woman to be more fulfilled. I want them to be better uh, leaders. I want them to be better wives. I want them to be uh, better women. I, I want across the board, I want everybody to experience the joy that a healthy and positive attitude towards life brings. And that happens when we focus on what we believe and what we do. And then the outcome is our emotional response to it. I've never really thought about it that way. I mean, we all know what attitude is kind of somewhat, but mm -hmm. we can have a good attitude or a bad attitude is kind of what it is. Oh, that yeah. person has a good attitude or a bad attitude, right. but we, we don't really break it down like that into mm -hmm. such simple way that you can really understand how your attitude's being formed. So how does, you know, we're wrapping up 
here soon, but how does community influence our attitude? Just to kind of tie together this this need for community yeah. that you've talked about and then this discussion on attitude, how do those two impact each other? Well, it, it's in community that you're going to influence what you believe. You know, some people can, you know, read a book and you start to chew on it a little bit and you think it, but it's when you're in community and you have to verbalize it and bounce it off other people. And I mean, biblical community, you know, you don't want to go to a place where it's not biblical community because non-biblical communities are not interested in reality, the truth, the metaphysical truth of reality. They're not interested in that. They're interested in creating a context that reinforces their own attempt to heal their soul. So, so community not only helps you, uh, learn and define what you believe and really let it become a, uh, conscious thing. The second thing it does is it gives you opportunity to act on it and do in it. You know, it's not only a safe place, but it's an encouraging place and a place that pushes you. And then it allows you to celebrate, you know, so you have an emotional, uh, positive response to it. So community is critical to your attitude. Absolutely. Well, as we're wrapping up today, we're, we're kind of starting some new things going forward in this yes, new year. Yes. I hear you want to mix some things up on our Thursday <laughs> podcast as well. So tell me what you envision. Well, I just think it, it, we should end the podcast with uh, a new dimension to the Salty Pastor. And I think what we ought to do is just say, here are some action steps, some specific steps that you can take. Okay. Right? So Thursdays, you're going to give us some action steps. Yeah, to move you forward. can take them. You can take uh, some of them, all of them, one of them. It doesn't matter because the critical point is, is that I want you to walk into the incredible abundant life that Jesus has for you, the life that it was meant to be. And that's only going to take place if you take a step in that direction. Mm. It could be a big step, lots of steps, or it could be a baby step. It doesn't matter. Just take a step, right? Yes. So I'm going to throw a few of these out, think about them, and then you can determine whether you want to, which one you want to do. But please do one. The first, the first action step is this. Over the next week, take a moment and evaluate the quality of your community. Do you have a community. Do you have friends? You know, uh, guys, this is very important to you if you're married and you have young kids. I can't tell you how many guys that I know who are married. They've been married 10 years to 15 years. They have young kids at home, meaning anybody, kids under 14 years of age. And you have guys that you'll do stuff with, but you don't really have any really good close friends, mm. right? Uh, your wife tends to be your closest friend and she's generally not happy with you. So, uh, you need to evaluate the quality of your community. How many friends do you have? How much time do you spend with them? But most importantly, who are you closest to and how do you feel when you spend time with the people you're around the most? Do mm. they inspire you or do they discourage you? Take a moment to evaluate your community by looking at who you spent time with over the last three to four months, all right? And since we just finished up Christmas and the seasonal holidays, it's a great time. Who did you spend time with that you felt well, you, you left there going, wow, that really kind of filled me up or that really kind of inspired me? Da -da -da. Make a list of those people and then ask yourself, why don't I spend more time with those people? Right. You know? And so evaluate, evaluate, evaluate the quality of your own community. Be really brutally honest with yourself, okay? Uh, a second step that you could take practice, uh, the principle of five, make a list of five people. If you're married, maybe five other couples, or it could be a single person on that list. It doesn't matter. And then choose the people, uh, to put on the list that are really good people, 
people that bring you up, lift you up, encourage you and inspire you as opposed to bringing you down or depressing you. And then just ask yourself, how can we as a couple, or how can I spend more time with those people? Mm. You know, what, what can I do? You know, set stuff up and don't sit on your couch and wait for them to text you or call you or invite you, you know, create something, say, Hey, let's go be together. Uh, the third thing, and this is really an important step that you can take. It's not a hard step. Join a community of faith. Don't just go to church, join one, actually join it. Um, there are a number of people who listen to this podcast all throughout, uh, Try to find a local church that you can join. Don't just attend, but join. Okay. Now, if you can't find one, then continue to try to, you know, join through di digital discipleship foothills. Cause we're trying to roll this out for those people who don't have those opportunities. But the biggest thing you could do is join a local church. What does that mean? Well, first of all, you make a personal commitment to it. And you make a commitment to engage in worship regularly, say three times a month, I need to be there. And then one time a month I'll watch online. Or now if you're a traveling person, you're never home on the weekends. You say, well, we're going to make a commitment. You know, um, I know people in the military who are deployed. And so what they would do, it didn't matter where they were in the world. Uh, the farther they, if they're on the other side of the world, it actually worked better because if they were 12 hours ahead or 12 hours behind, they would say, well, at 9 AM you watch the service. And then at 9 PM, I'll watch the service at the exact same time for 45 minutes. And then afterwards you and I are going to do the discussion questions together. Mm. So I know, I know couples that their husbands were deployed or the wife was deployed where they did that. And they said that was probably one of the best things that happened to us or for us during the deployment is each week we got together, we grew spiritually. So you can make a commitment, a personal a commitment to engage in worship regularly, whether online or in person. Okay. Number two, you join by taking a certain amount of time each week and pursuing your ministry in that community of faith. So if you're if you have the gift of hospitality, maybe you have the gift of service or you have the gift of teaching, or you have the gift of encouragement or gift of prayer. It doesn't matter. Whatever your gift is, whatever your ministry is, you say, for one hour a week, five hours a week, two hours a week, it doesn't matter. I'm going to use this gift in the service of that community of faith. If it's a giant one that's in a storefront or a converted Costco, I'm going to go there and serve in the children's ministry or serve in the youth ministry. I'm going to disciple other kids. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be on a security team, play on the worship team. I'm going to do that. If you're in a micro church that meets in a coffee shop, you're going to say, I'm going to spend an hour. If my gift is hospitality, I'm going to go early and make sure everything's set up, ready to go. All the drinks are ordered so that people feel when they show up that they're special. We remembered them and we don't forget them. I'm going to write encouraging cards to people in the group during the week. I'm going to pray for people, call them on the phone and tell them if I'm in a micro church, it doesn't matter if it's a micro church or a mega church or anything in between, you make a commitment to use your gift each week in service. And then finally you give to it, mm. you give to it. And you, the reason why I say that you need to do this is because regardless of how your local church defines its quality of membership, it's not until you do these three steps when you will feel the full force and the full power of being in community. And the reason why is because unless you do those three things, your heart will never truly be in it. Right. Mm. And you'll play mental gymnastics with yourself 
Five years later, you're going to go, yeah, I just haven't grown. I haven't done it. And you'll find that you've wasted five years stuck in the status quo going nowhere. And I want to save you guys from that. I want you to have a good attitude about life, right? And our, our attitude can slide into bad if we don't vigilantly take care of working on what we believe and what we would do and then our emotional response to it. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for sharing all that with us, Pastor. We're excited to kick off this new series called Back <laughs> on Track on Sunday. I hear you have something a little special planned for Absolutely. this for this week. And uh, we're just really enjoying this study in James and learning how we can start moving forward in our spiritual walk mm-hmm. after some of us have just kind of stagnated a little bit over the last year and a half. So thank you guys so much for joining us. And we will see you on Sunday here at Foothills Christian Church. Happy New Year. Thank you.